the Apostle Paul, or perhaps one of his disciples, sends a letter to his young friend Timothy, a pastor, a new pastor in a church, and he gives him this piece of advice, for God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but one of power and love. An ancient psalmist writing five or 600 years before the time of Jesus reminds his congregation to take, to be strong and let your heart take courage. Lao Tzu, the Chinese philosopher writing at about the same time in the Tao Te Ching as the, the Hebrew poet reminds his listeners that to be loved gives you strength. To deeply love another gives you courage. I rehearsed my sermon last night with my wife. When I got to this point, she said, oh, Adlai Miz. Do you know what line she's thinking of? To love another person is to see the face of God. These truths have resonated across the timeline of eternity since the beginning of time. They are reminders to us that indeed we have not been given a spirit of cowardice or of fear, but one of power and love, and that love leads us to courage. Let your heart take courage, the old Hebrew poet wrote. Let courage grow from your love. That is what indeed produces it. The Apostle Paul reminds his young friend Timothy that this faith that he has received, this, these gifts of, of faith and love and power and self-control came first from his mother and his grandmother. We sometimes take the Apostle Paul to task for the way he describes women in the church, but here he is very clear. These two women are church leaders. They are the ones who mentored this young pastor, who taught him, who passed on the gift of faith. And we can no doubt assume the gifts of, faith, of love and hope as well. I've watched the Wizard of Oz now about nine or ten times during the preparation of, of these sermons for this series. And it's clear that the most powerful people, like in, in Timothy's life, like his mother and grandmother, are the women in the story, most especially Dorothy, whose story we will look at next week. But this word has been given to humankind since the very first humans stepped up out of the primordial mud. You can almost hear across the winds of time, across the winds of eternity, the voice of God whispering in those first humans' ears, you've not been given a spirit of cowardice, but one of power and of love. The Apostle Paul knew it. The old Hebrew poet, he knew it. Lao Tzu understood. Whoever it was wrote the words of that lyric from Les Mis understands the power of love to give us courage no matter what it is we face. Courage is never the absence of fear. Courage is moving forward even though fear compels us to stay behind. The cowardly lion knows this. The cowardly lion in The Wizard of Oz, I believe, demonstrates throughout the entire movie that despite his fear, despite his, him, him being understood as a coward, he truly does have courage. Time after time after time, when his friends are in trouble, especially when Dorothy is in trouble, he does whatever it takes. Oh, he's reluctant. He names his fear, but that's part of the power. He names his fear. But before we get to that, though, we need to own up to who he is when we first encounter him. He's somewhat of a bully. Uh, let's remind ourselves of how he meets the, the Tin Man, the Scarecrow, and, and Dorothy. Let's put that up on the screen. I don't like this forest. It's, it's dark and creepy. A 
cost, I don't know, but I think it'll get darker before it gets lighter. Do, do you suppose we'll meet any wild animals? Mm, we might. Animals that, that eat straw? Uh, some, but mostly lions and tigers and bears. Lions? And tigers? And bears. <laughs> lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. 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 Lions and tigers and bears. Go ahead and leave it up there for a moment, guys. I just love the Cowardly Lion character. It shows the beauty and the power of the makeup that they were able to do. This was filmed in 1939. The Tin Man and the Scarecrow are amazing. The Cowardly Lion is, is far and away my favorite character, not just because of his makeup, but for, for the way he is. But it's a, a, wonderful, a wonderful scene. And what happens here is we find that the Cowardly Lion is truly trying to cover his cowardice by his bullying behavior. He growls and he snarls and he barks. Y'all can take it off now, thanks. He growls and he barks and, and, and he snarls at people and he jumps at him and he says horrible, mean things to the scarecrow and equally insulting things to the tin man. And then Dorothy's little dog Toto gets loose and tries to run away and the big, mean lion chases after that little dog. The lion's 10 times bigger than Toto, at least 10 times bigger. And yet Dorothy then, all of a sudden, remember the most powerful character in the show is Dorothy. She steps up and confronts the lion, makes him stop. Leave my dog alone. You ought to be ashamed of yourself, she says. Do you remember what he does? He starts to cry. He starts to cry and he acknowledges that his behavior is covering up his fear. He's afraid. He's a coward. He can't really be the king of the forest if he's going to be afraid and cowardly, can he? It really is a beautiful scene and it sets us up for us experiencing throughout the rest of the movie the cowardly line being the courageous one that he truly is. But before we get to that, let's pause on the idea of bullying. I read an article this week by Brene Brown in Psychology Today titled The Cruelty Crisis. She says that there's a crisis in America of bullying and you can see it especially by the way reality television tries to lure in its audience. What happens in reality television? We see people at their worst bullying each other, being mean to each other, putting each other down, putting them in their place, making fun of them, making, making them feel terrible. For, for Brene Brown and her research, this is a sign of our culture and, the, and what's at work. She said it's not just happening at school. It's not just a bullying problem at school. It's a bullying problem in our culture. And she says the root of it is gossip. Uh-oh. Gossip is the root of our bullying. She illustrates it like this. She says sometimes parents would see that there's an awkward little first grade boy who never gets invited to the birthday parties. And yet those same ones who wonder why is it, those parents who wonder why is it he's not being invited to the parties, then in their little PTO click, they talk about how weird his mother is, never considering that they would invite her for coffee or a glass of wine at the end of the day. The bullying starts in gossip. 
and she makes it clear. Sometimes it's in the backyard over the fence with your neighbor. Sometimes it's over the water cooler. Sometimes it's in the carpool line. And sometimes, in her words, it's in church parking lots. Sometimes. That's where it begins. She says that what often happens, this isn't true for everyone who is a bully in school, but oftentimes what the kids are doing at school is mirroring and mimicking the behavior they've seen at home. Maybe they've even been bullied by a sibling or a parent. Now, that, that doesn't excuse the behavior, but it helps us understand even more, so doesn't it? She asks rhetorically in, in her article, are you willing to be the adult that your children need, whether you have children in your home or children in your, in your, in your office or children in, in your field of influence? Are you willing to be the adult that children need because too many children see adults behaving like bad children? Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying all this and recounting this research that she's done to make you feel guilty. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. Guilt is only helpful if it works as a bridge. If the guilt helps you see the bad behavior that needs to be left behind, then guilt becomes a bridge to walk and follow on your way toward a new behavior. It, metaphorically speaking, you're walking towards a new behavior. You're leaving behind the old behavior and you're leaving the guilt because guilt does us no good to be carried around. If it opens our mind and opens our eyes to see something that needs to be changed, fine, then leave it behind. I've seen people metaphorically and even in reality almost bent down by their guilt, unable to stand up and move forward. There's even a, a word for sin in the Old Testament. It's the Hebrew word awon that literally means to be bent down by guilt. Jesus said to his disciples, my burden is light. What he means by that is leave the guilt behind. Follow me on a pathway to a new way of life in the name of love. You see, the cowardly lion is filled with fear. He's overwhelmed by his, his behavior and the things that he just can't seem to let, let go of. But he's vulnerable enough. This is the beauty of the story. He's vulnerable enough to name his fear, to acknowledge that he's afraid and still move forward to care for those he loves. Someone once said, I think it was 15 or 20 years ago, that the Bible has 365 references, like one for every day of the year, where it says, do not be afraid or fear not or don't be filled with fear. 365 times it says that. It's almost like a daily calendar. You know, those little tear-off things, and it's the same thing every single day. Don't be afraid. I, I did some research once. I, I, about 15 years ago or so, maybe it was 10, I, I had a concordance. Do, you, do anybody know what a concordance is? It's a book that records every single word in the Bible. Yes, I'm nerdy enough to have bought one. It was like $75. It was crazy. This is before we had Googler machines, you know. And so I decided to do some research. I went through all these, all these different words, and I got kind of lost in over hundreds and hundreds of verses, which kind of proved the point. I never did get an accurate count. But all the, all the way through the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, we hear that instruction, do not be afraid. Abraham is called. He's named Abram when he's first called. He's called to be the founder of a great nation. After that calling, he does some really dumb things. Like one of them is, he basically says, his wife is not his wife, and he hands her over to Pharaoh. This is a huge mistake, trust me. He's challenged by God on this. And then later, in Genesis 15, God says to Abraham, do not be afraid. It was fear that allowed him to let go of his wife. 
not to protect her. Don't be afraid, Abram. Don't let fear guide you. The angel to Mary on the day that, that she finds out she will be bringing the, the, the son of God, the child of God into the world. She will be the Theotokos, the God-bearer. What does the angel say to her? Do not be afraid, Mary. The angel nine months later to the, to the shepherds tending their flocks in the hillside appears before them. Do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Jesus then grows up and over and over and over again says to his disciples, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, do not be afraid. I would suggest that you write those words on your bathroom mirror. Put them perhaps on the door of your refrigerator. Write them on the doorposts outside your front door so that in your coming and your going, you're reminded every single day as you leave, as you return, every single day of that simple instruction, do not be afraid. I'll fast forward in the movie. We're getting toward the end now. The scene shows the, the lion in the middle, the tin man, and the scarecrow on either side. They're hiding behind a crop of rocks. They can see right below them the wicked witch's castle. And down below them are the ODO guards. Do you know who I'm talking about? I, I've, I've heard from people that, that you know, I, I mentioned early in the sermon series that my brother was scared not only as a child, but all the way through his adult life of the flying monkeys. And many of you said, oh yeah, me too. And then last week I heard some people say, you know, the monkeys never got to me, but boy, the wicked witch of the West. I was always afraid of her and that, 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 that crystal ball or whatever it was where she could look and see where her enemies were going, where they were moving around. And then still others said to me later this week, you know what really scares me are those guards, those ODO guards. And they, didn't even, they even chanted to me to make sure I understand. Remember the chant? O-D-O, O-O. Help me, choir, come on. O-D-O, O-O. Hey, I could join the choir. <laughs> but when you look at them, they do look pretty frightening. And they've got these scary outfits on, these, these, these soldiers' uniforms, and they're carrying gigantic, huge spears, and they're marching in perfect military formation. O-D-O, and it's overwhelmingly frightening. Except, do you know what they're called? Anybody know what they're called? The Winkies. How could we be afraid of the Winkies? Well, the scarecrow says to the lion, I've got a plan, and you're going to lead us. And the lion responds, I, 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 I'm going to, I'm going to, I, I, it's me. And scarecrow's, that's right. Scarecrow's clear, that's right, it's you. And the lion, you, can, you watch the scene, it's too long to show. You watch the scene, and his face transforms. You can just kind of see his shoulders coming back, and there's a look of resolve in his face. And he says, all right. Because of Dorothy, I'll go. Witch, wicked witch or no wicked witch. Guards or no guards. I'll tear them apart. And he growls. I'll just tear them apart. If I don't come out alive, that that's that's, doesn't matter. But can you do one thing for me, you guys? He says to his two friends. Talk me out of it. <laughs> I love that scene so much because it is the lion being exactly who we are. He names the fear. He admits it. We can't take on these guards. We can't take on this witch in her castle. How in the world are we going to do it? And what is it that it compels him to go forward? It's his love for Dorothy. It's his love that gives him courage. It's the same love that Lao Tzu knew, that that Hebrew poet knew, that the Apostle Paul understood, that Jesus taught his disciples and us 
that we sing about in Les Mis, to love another person is to see the face of God. And that love, that knowledge, that vision gives us courage. Here's the thing, though. If you don't practice it, it will start to fade. If you don't use love in your family, in your office, your school, your church, it'll be like trimming a rose and not putting it in water, but just leaving it on the sidewalk. Eventually, like that rose, it will wither and fade and be taken away by the wind. The challenge to all of us is whether or not we're willing to put that love into practice, to name the fear, to speak it out loud to those that we trust, those who care for us, and then give that love away no matter what. That's the simple and courageous call to all of us. Amen.